Provoke podcast is brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialists, Marketeers. Support for this podcast comes from Notified, the integrated, intelligent and easy-to-use PR software. Get a free demo today at Notified.com. Welcome to the Provoke Media Podcast. I'm Arthi Shaw, Executive Editor and host for today's episode. So today's guest has a name that is probably familiar for most of our listeners, Margot Edelman. Margot is currently Edelman's General Manager of Silicon Valley and has been the firm's Bay Area lead since I believe last year. But even before this, she's been with the family business since 2013. Welcome to the show, Margot. Thanks so much, excited to be on. Did I, did, did I get all those dates right? <laughs> Yes, you did get all the dates right. Good, good time, good timeline in your head. So <laughs> perfect. So, so, so let, let, let's let's kind of flesh that out a bit more. Can you tell our listeners about your career tra- trajectory? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I actually I graduated from college in uh, two thousand nine, which now feels like a little while ago. Um, and actually worked at Edelman for a couple of years. Actually, right after school, after doing a couple stints in banking and journalism during college. Um, and, and actually got to work internationally for the company, which was fascinating. I worked for a little bit actually in China um, in, in 2010, which was very cool. It sort of really taught me that the world works completely differently um, over there. I then went back, got my MBA um, from Harvard Business School, and then from there actually joined Edelman's Research and Insights Group um, based in New York, looking at sort of uh, the practice of communications and how it can be more grounded in data whether it's data from polls or sort of data from online analytics, um, which is something, again, the firm is still really focused on. Um, I then moved out to the Bay Area, really for personal reasons, actually, in 2015, and then realized I sort of inadvertently landed right in the middle of, you know, what really is sort of the center of gravity for the world, which is, you know, Silicon Valley and the tech sector. Um, And so from there, really, you know, have focused on working with technology clients or venture capital funds that are really sort of pushing the boundaries of innovation um, and helping them to tell their story. Um, and that's you know been my career for the last six years. It's been fascinating um, getting to work with sort of all these different companies, all these different um, characters and, and really you know just smart and interesting people, whether it's on the client side, reporters. Um, it's been you know a hugely fascinating time to be um, to be working in the tech sector and to be working in the valley. Yes, no, in, indeed. And, and, and to your point, yes, it, it feels very much like this is like the epicenter of the world sometimes. Um, so a question, so just in terms of the offices, so you've worked in, out of the New York office, you've worked out of, out of one of the offices in China, and then of yep. course, Valley. Okay. Yes, exactly. So did you always know you wanted to join the family business? Did you entertain anything else? Yeah, yeah, that, no, that's that's another great question. Um, I mean, growing up, honestly, it was something where we... Um, you know, learned a lot about PR and learned a lot about Edelman, you know, just, you know, at the dinner table, we would have reporters come over for dinner. We had, you know, my father's clients um, come out for, for weekends in our country home. Um, we would actually sort of discuss business at, at the dinner table. So it was absolutely something that um, I grew up with and, you know, it felt sort of part of the business a little bit growing up. Um, and then coming out of college, um, it was, you know, if you remember back to 2009, it was not a great time in the economy. And I was like, well, you know what, maybe now is the time to actually to try it out and see if I like it. Um, just because I was like, you know what, I know if I go to Edelman, I'll, I'll be able to get a good experience. And, you know, the rest of the world's falling apart. Why not, you know, try out the family business now and see if I like it. And 
I really did. You know, I thought it was, you know, fascinating to be able to work with journalists. Um, I love, you know, really staying on top of what's going on in the news. And it was a business that allows you to do just that. Um, and then, you know, as I said, I worked in Shanghai for a bit and I was like, this is awesome being able to be part of really a global organization mm -hmm. um, as well. And really, you know, you feel like you're part of the world um, when you work at Edelman. So that was also something that, that really drew me to the business. It's not, you know, it is a family business, of course, um, but it's also, you know, a global business where we really get to work with, you know, the top companies worldwide. Um, and that's, you know, an, an awesome opportunity to have. Right. And, I, and just for any of our listeners who aren't aware, I should I should give the context. So you are Richard Richard, Richard Edelman, who's the CEO of Edelman. Um, you're his eldest daughter. Eggs, you got it. <laughs> and so you know, and I wanted to just touch a little bit on the data when when you when you worked on that side of the business. Um, what 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 did you what what were your kind of key learnings on that side, and 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 how kind of what do you carry with you um, from? Absolutely. And I think the the some of the the biggest takeaways I had were that, um, you know, you shouldn't just sort of go at things sort of like finger in the wind. I think this message will work. It's very actually possible to test out what messages can work and also to deliver sort of almost like um, tailored messages by audience. So what's going to work for, you know, investors might not necessarily work for the general public, for example. Um, and so you can really use data and insights to understand what is gonna resonate with that investor audience versus what's gonna resonate with the general you know, population audience? Or you know, are there differences by geography where again, you need to tailor your message by geography? Right. So I think you know, for everybody who thinks of comms as just sort of putting out a press release or just sort of pitching, pitching a reporter, I think you know, that stint in, um, in research really taught me that it's a lot more nuanced than that. And there really can sort of be science behind communications of where you go in really understanding what are those sort of core messages that are gonna resonate, almost like you're doing sort of a political campaign. Right. Um, which is fascinating. And then I think there's also, you know, increasingly ways to, um, to also look at just sort of the data we have online, whether that's, you know, information you're getting from social conversations, information from places like Glassdoor that can also inform sort of how you, how you do communications. Right. Um, in particular, um, you know, seeing, you know, there might not, something might not necessarily be resonating in the media yet, but you can start to see in social conversation, knowing that's almost like the media is like a lagging indicator. Mm -hmm. um, so that also shows you that something is going to be important um, before it comes out. Yes. I mean, that's more true than ever, right? That the media is totally indicator to those conversations that are happening on Twitter or, or any of the other social platforms. What about that tension? Did you tap into that tension between sort of data and sort of like gut, you know, instinct, creativity, and, and, you know, what's your opinion on kind of where, you know, where the industry's headed? Are we, you know, obviously there's, it's going to be a hybrid, but sort of where, how those two things can coexist. Um, it, it, listen, it's a hybrid. I think you have to go into any sort of situation like this with a hypothesis, and then you use data to validate or refute what your hypothesis is. Mm -hmm. So if you don't go in sort of having a gut feeling about, you know, what, um, what might work, um, you're kind of, you're, you're, you're digging, um, you know, randomly. Whereas when you go in with sort of that gut feeling of like, I think this is what's going on, you can then sort of use, use data to validate it. And I think where data is also really helpful is when you're working with your client and they know something and you know something that they need to bring the rest of their organization along. Um, it can really help to arm your client with data um, mm -hmm. that they can then take to their boss or the key stakes or senior stakeholders in their organization to say, Hey, this is not just something I think, and we should, you know, uh, work on this is actually something I'm working with Edelman on to prove out that this is this is harming us or helping us or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I want to go back for a second to sort of your, your personal journey. And um, I, I would imagine that having the last name that you do is, is sort of a, a double-edged sword. Um, can you speak to both sort of how it, it helps and also sort of the challenges that, that it's presented? Absolutely. Um, I think where it's a really big benefit um, is that, you know, at the end of the day in the PR business, a lot of it is about, um, you know, it's about having access to information. It's about being in the flow. You know, if you are, you know, working with, you know, a fintech client, for example, have you spoken with reporters that cover fintech to really be able to understand what they want to cover, bring that information back to your client. Um, and, you know, truly having the last name Edelman is, it's, it's, great because it enables me, I think, or has enabled me to have conversations with people who are, you know, very senior in the media or, you know, senior at VC funds, et cetera, who really, they have very unique insights based on the roles that they have and position they occupy and being able to have those conversations and bring those insights back to my clients or back to the team is hugely valuable. So I think just that sort of access to access to really smart and interesting people that can make me smarter. And then again, allows me to sort of bring that back to our clients or the team is, is really valuable. And I think, you know, a, a, a great way um, to, for me to sort of in, in leverage the name Edelman to, um, to, I, I think really help um, our work be better and help bring those sort of strategic insights and counsel to our clients. Um, where I think sometimes it's, um, or, has been maybe a little bit less um, helpless. I think you just have to prove yourself in a lot of ways, um, maybe even more so than, than you know, folks who just sort of come in cold with, you know, whatever last name in the company. So I think it's something where, you know, I think people internally at least do absolutely have wanted to give me sort of the benefit of the doubt and believe in me, but it, it does mean that you're, you know, consistently on the line to, to prove yourself and, and show that you can add value and show why you know you deserve to be in a pitch, why you deserve to be on a client, why you deserve to have the role you do. And I think if you do that, then it's great. Um, but I think at least in the beginning, there there is a little bit of that extra onus to be like, okay, you have to be, you know, you'd be really good at what you do um, to, uh, to to have people want to bring you in. Right. I think that's an excellent point. Right. That sort of pressure to sort of prove yourself. Um, you know, and, and so you, you touched on this with your with your response, but I'm curious sort of how you approach this job as general man manager differently than maybe your your predecessors. Like what, what you know, is it is it part of partly, you know, because of what you can bring in terms of, of access to, to the role? Um, are there any other differences that, that you absolutely um you know something I've really focused on um you know in this role and that I really believe in is um, building a great team. Um, and you know I, I think it's easy in some ways to say, okay, I'm going to go out there in the world. I'm going to meet a bunch of people. I'm going to go try to win a bunch of business, et cetera. But if you don't have the team to back you up and to be able to work and partner with you to deliver and, and want to deliver for you, um, you can win all the business you want. And then, you know, it won't matter because you won't have the team behind you to do great work in partnership with you. Um, so my first priority is, you know, just really been a focus on building a great team in the Bay Area and making sure we have really the best of, of Edelman um, out in the Bay Area, just because it is such an important market for us. And I know for a long time, you know, we started in Chicago, then co-headquartered in New York. And I really want to make sure that we do have the best people in the company um, focused on the Bay Area and part of the Bay Area team. Um, so that's really been my number one priority. And then secondly, it's also showcasing really the, the work we've done with innovative companies, 
innovative work we're doing with influencers, ways we're pushing the boundaries, because I think sometimes there's the perception in the market that Edelman can be old school um, or that we just work with really, really big companies, which actually isn't true. Um, we do work with, you know, venture capital funds. We do work with, you know, fast growing tech companies. Um, and that's, you know, building up that book of business has been a big priority for me. And so at this point, we actually, we have definitely have the clients and the work to back it up. Mm-hmm. And I want to make sure we're getting that message out into the world that we, you know, where we want to deliver and do great work for, you know, really in- innovative and interesting companies. And, you know, that we're, you know, more than capable of doing that and doing it at scale um, across the globe. I, I want to go back to, to sort of building that, that really strong talent bench. And I'm curious to hear a little bit about how, you know, if there's anything that you're doing in particular to be able to do that, because as we know, we are in a severe talent crunch. This is industry wide, but it feels especially acute here in the Bay Area. Is there anything that you're doing in particular to make Edelman a, an attractive employer? Absolutely. Um, well, first of all, I think I'm really looking sort of network wide to identify talent. Um, so for example, if there is somebody, I'll give an example for our employee experience team, um, we, there was somebody at Edelman who was, I think she was number two in the employee experience team in Chicago for, you know, the number one person wasn't going anywhere. And she's now sort of moved out to the Bay area, um, and is running the employee experience group in the Bay and has done a fabulous job, um, you know, since she's got the role of, of growing, um, our employee experience business. So I think it's really taking sort of a global look at talent, um, not just looking at talent as a Bay area, um, you know, proposition, but really saying, who are those sort of number twos in the network who could do a fabulous job as number one if they were given the chance? Mm-hmm. Um, and so really re- trying hard to sort of get some of those folks out to the Bay Area. Um, and then I think secondly, when we're looking at hiring, I think we're not just looking at hiring in San Francisco proper. We're really looking at it as more of like a West Coast talent strategy. So if you're on the time zone or within the time zone, we want to talk to you. We can, we're, we're flexible and we're more than happy to, you know, hire somebody who, who sits in a different market. Uh, I was joking that we should have a whole floor in the LA office that's the San Francisco office, but that lives in LA, for example. Well, that, that's actually a very good point. You know, as we are looking at what the office of the future will look like, um, what do you expect sort of Edelman Silicon Valley to look like? Do you expect it to be fairly distributed? Do you expect that, um, you know, is remote working here to stay? Like, what, like what's, your, what's your vision as we move into kind of as we crawl out of this pandemic? Absolutely. I mean, listen, I don't think we're going to go back to what we had before, which is, you know, everybody expected to be in the office five days a week at the same time. You know, I think the opportunity to be in an office, to collaborate with your peers, to see people in person, especially for the junior team members who, um, you know, I think there's huge benefit to, to, you know, having an opportunity to sit down, collaborate, being in the same room. Um, So I think it's going to be, it's going to be somewhere in the middle. Right where you know we are going to be absolutely offering office space. Ideally, you know we would have team members in multiple days a week, um, but it will be it will not look like it was before, which is you know five days a week in the office. You have your set desk. Um, yeah. No. I mean that. I mean that. All all indications seem to point in that in that way. Um, and it, and I think it seems to like that will be a, a competitive advantage for um, employers as well. Right. Um, well, you know, let's let's look a little, let's take a step back and, and talk a little bit about sort of, I mean, Edelman, but even like DJE's evolution here in the, in the Bay area. Yeah. Um, I find it really amazing because I've been out here 
on and off since like 2007. And I remember in those days, people were saying, well, Edelman's not a really big player out here. It's really A&R, um, which of course was, you know, that you A&R partners, which you all acquired. Um, of course, you know, since then I've seen DJE basically corner the tech market in some ways. I mean, eBay, PayPal, HP, Microsoft, Google, Zoom, I mean, just to name a few, right? So what's your take on Edelman's sort of market strength and, and perhaps weaknesses in, in this market? And that's a great question. Um, so I, I think one thing that we do, you know, really well is, is scale. I mean, and that, I know that's an obvious answer, but, you know, we are a global firm. And so for these businesses, and it's not just for sort of the Microsofts and Googles of the world, which of course, you know, that's, you know, having scale is, uh, you know, a prerequisite for working with them. But I also think for some of the late, sort of later stage startups, the companies that have recently IPO, they need scale as well, because they're selling into, um, you know, companies that are in the middle of the country. They're, you know, expanding into Europe, expanding into Asia and having, you know, a PR firm that has boots on the ground, but they can also sort of lend that strategic perspective of, okay, you know, um, going to be, you know, entering Japan, what should I know? What are the watchouts like having some having you know a team there that can really provide sort of strategic counsel from a communications perspective um, is is critical. So I think scale is you know a huge advantage that we have. Um, secondly, and something that I have really tried to focus on is just is actually connectivity in the valley. You know, as I'm sure you know because you've been in the market for a while, it's a hugely in-person place. Like you really have to know the reporters personally. You need to probably know know the people who run funds personally. Um, and really just be, be part of the market. And I think that's something just having been in the Valley now for six years and really just made a you know big effort to, to try to meet sort of the, the key sort of leaders in the communications industry and the key leaders in media. Um, it's something that, you know, is really important and something that I, I personally have really focused on to ensure that we are not just global, we're also sort of of San Francisco and of Silicon Valley and can provide that connectivity for our clients. Um, and then I would just say third is that we we do more than just PR. Um, so yes, we can obviously do great media relations for for companies, but increasingly there's you know a focus on advising on DE and I um, and a need for that, or focusing on employee communications. Um, there's a focus on you know how can we you know help companies with their digital strategy, and and we can do all of that. So if you come to us, you're not just going to get sort of you know people sort of calling reporters and placing storage, which, you know, is, you know, incredibly important. And, you know, again, something that I really do, basically do every day. Um, but we can also do sort of, you know, the, your employee experience comms, DEI advisory work, digital work. And I think that's also an advantage for, for working with Edelman as well. Um, you know, I, going back to, to, to your point, I, I think um, many of um, well, first of all, thankfully, there's enough, there seems to be enough work out here to go around for, for uh, all of uh, many, most of the firms that exist out here. But, but many um, of these independent um, agencies or boutique agencies, they, you know, they see themselves as challenger brands to Edelman. And what they'll, what they'll say in terms of what their market position is, is that, you know, when you come to us, you will be the most important, you know, client, like you don't have to compete with some of these fortune 20 companies, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so what would you say, what, what, what would be your counterpoint to that? Sure, another great question. Um, my counterpoint to that is we, we wanna do great work. Um, that's our goal, it's to do work that is um, interesting, positions that us at the forefront of the conversation. And so, yes, you can absolutely do that with Microsoft, with Google, um, but 
I think it's also important to be for us to work with innovative companies that are disrupting the industries that they're in and partner with them again to do industry leading work. Um, and so that that's what we're working, we're looking to do across the board. And so, you know, I personally really value relationships with companies that are sort of, you know, pushing the industry, you know, disrupt, trying to disrupt the fields they're in and are willing to take a risk and to partner with us to do something interesting. You know, one thing that I'm noticing is becoming an issue, and this this has been an issue for a while, but it's it's feeling even like more acute now, is all of the consolidation that's happening on the tech side and what that means for conflicts. And I'm curious sort of what your take is on where, like, not just Edelman, but like where tech PR can go, um, you know, as you have these behemoths that do a little bit of everything, um, and then you get conflicted out for some of these, you know, disruptive or kind of innovative companies because there's a piece that conflicts with the piece of the big, the big client. Um, I'm curious to hear your perspective on on conflicts and, and tech. Absolutely, um, and that is, that is a huge issue for us. Um, and so, you know, for um, for Edelman in the Bay Area, obviously there is Edelman. We also, as DJE, have Zeno, and then we also have Revere, um, which is where our Google relationship sits. Um, so those are sort of the three different brands um, that we as DJE have um, for, for working with um, tech companies. Um, so for right now, I think that that's been sort of our strategy is to have, you know, Zeno, which is a completely different, you know, legal entity. And then um, also to have Revere, which again, sort of has, you know, very much been focused on Google, but we also have, you know, a handful of other companies that are, are part of Revere as well. Um, so you know that's um, that that's been the strategy thus far. But you're you're completely right. Conflicts are absolutely a huge issue, and you know it's something that we we are consistently needing needing to manage. Um, right. No, I think with these days, I mean, everyone seems to do a little bit of everything. Um, so I think that's something that the tech PR sector in general, I think is going to be interesting to see how that's navigated and what sort of creative solutions. I think like you said right now, I think conflicts seem to be the go-to, um, but I, I, I'm, it's space I watch closely because I'm curious to see if there's going to be some other creative um, solutions that, that agencies come up with to sort of manage this. Yeah, that, that's what we have so far. If you come up with other stuff, let me know. I'd love to, <laughs> yes. I'd love to learn I'm, I'm, from I'm, you. <laughs> I'm, I'm watching. I'm watching to see what else what else folks do. Um, so how closely then do you work with with Sanjay, who is the, the global chair of, of, of the tech sector? That's a great question. Um, well, I worked for him. So we worked very close. And I used to sit next to him. So extremely, extremely closely, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, when, when he was in the U.S. And then obviously now he's um, over in China. So we, you know, talk every week. Um, you know, I have sort of standing calls with him. So he's still very involved in, um, you know, in, in what's going on in the tech sector. And he's a great partner um, on, you know, advising on, um, you know, what clients we want to, we want to go after globally, how can, you know, in a lot of ways, how can we have a little bit more of a global mentality around tech, um, just because there is so much going on, um, obviously, in China and Asia overall in the tech sector. So I think it's great to have a partner who's, um, you know, who's over there, who's, who's focused on that. Right. Yeah, that was always a question that I always had. And, and I think this is, this is quite different because he is based in a different region. I think in the past, again, I could be wrong, but there have been times where the, the head of tech or the global lead was here in the Bay Area. And so it was GM and I was always navigating like- Yeah, totally. I mean, frankly, um, well, he used to be based in the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, 
be great to have him back if he wanted to come back. But I think he he likes it over there in China. But no, yeah, work works super closely with him. And as I said, he's the next to Sanjay. So right. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we were in the office. So so let's. I, I'm curious to sort of zoom out a little bit and sort of get you know your take on on the tech sector. You're, you're, you're not really an outsider anymore. You've been here since 2015. And you, you alluded to some things, you know, one was that, you know, this is a very in-person networked community. One of the things that I've seen fail again and again is we're like an, an, an agency that is not based out here that's either based, you know, on the East Coast or even, you know, in, in London or, or somewhere in Europe. And they just think, oh, I'm just going to send someone out here. We'll, you know, put a flag down and we'll have a, you know, San Francisco, Silicon Valley office. And I've seen that fail more times than I've seen it succeed. In part, yeah. this is a really networked community and, and everyone wants to know who you know. And, and it, it, there seems to be a little suspicious of, of outsiders. And, um, and I'm curious sort of whether, you know, if you still think that's the case and any other sort of observations you've made about how business is done out here that might be different. Absolutely. Um, well, something that I've, I just have personally tried to do is just help Edelman be a convener. Um, so, you know, when we were in person, I would host sort of monthly media sort of like media or press talks where we'd invite in sort of influential members of the media. So we've had in Hui Wing Tam from the New York Times, you know, Emily Chang from Bloomberg, who would come in, they would basically do a Q&A with the team, we'd invite our clients, we'd have drinks. Um, so I think that was a really nice way to, you know, be a convener in a way that I think provided value to our team and then also to our clients. Um, and it wasn't like, oh, like, come listen to us. It was like, oh, come listen to someone who really knows what they're talking about, who's a respected member of the media. Um, this is something we're actually, we're now doing virtual, like as virtual Q and A's, um, just obviously given that, you know, and hopefully we'll be back in person in the fall, but we haven't been for the last year and a half. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that was a nice way for us to just really, again, sort of be part of the community and the ecosystem in a way that we could be a convener, um, but hopefully didn't sort of position us um, as you said, as a sort of New York firm that was just kind of coming in. Um, and then, um, what else was I gonna say? Um, and then I also think just having a couple like clients that were very much like of the Valley and, you know, had the right backers and, you know, were, um, you know, very much sort of those like sort of Silicon Valley, you know, darlings, um, at least at, you know, at the time, I think was also really helpful because it, again, having like the, the best way to get great work is to do more is to do great work. So if you get a client, you really deliver for them, then that, that's what's going to get you, you know, your next client and your next client. But I think having a couple of those sort of marquee, like, you know, really hot tech companies was, again, what sort of allows you then to say, okay, XYZ investor in that company, look what we did for your portfolio company here, we can do it for another company of yours. Um, so I think, again, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a, a little bit of like success builds on itself in that way. So I'll, I'll, I'll end with one last question. Like, what is what is the sort of the hottest tech trend that you are watching right now? Um, that's a that's a great question. I actually think um, the need for DEI in tech is is from a communications perspective um, is incredibly important. Um, you know, obviously, there's been um, you know a lot you know around the tech industry not having enough diversity. Um, you know, actually, employee walkouts over those type of issues. Um, so I think just you know increased focus on that um, right. has been a big trend, um, at least from a communications perspective. Um, and it's something that's not just about comms, it's actually about action. It's like, who do you have on your board? Who do you have in your leadership? Are you creating an inclusive environment? Right. Um, so it's you know something where it's not just about the messages you put out in the world, it's about actually how you, you know, how are you engaging as a company? 
and building a team that is diverse. Um, that's one. And then I actually think the second is really around, um, you know, reskilling and retraining for, for, you know, for workers and especially for Americans. I think the pandemic only accelerated, you know, fears of tech, um, you know, displacing people's jobs. We did a survey um, that actually shows our annual trust barometer survey that showed that trust in tech, at least in the U.S., had dropped, I believe, like something like nine points, which is a huge, huge drop. Um, and a lot of it, we think, is because of fears around job loss related to the tech industry. Um, so I think the more tech companies can, you know, really take action and, you know, show how they're helping to both retrain their own employees and then reskill Americans for, you know, for tech jobs, I think is also incredibly important and definitely a trend, you know, we're seeing coming out of the pandemic. Oh, that's, that's so interesting. So you think it was the, that, that drop in trust was more driven by the, the fear of, of job displacement, more than like privacy issues and things like that. that that's our thesis anyways, or that's what the, what the data shows. Um, but, you know, obviously privacy issues are also huge as well. Right. No, that's so interesting. Um, well, I mean, I think you, you, you nailed two, two areas that I feel like we could have a separate podcast just on DEI in the tech sector and trust in the tech sector. Those are two huge topics that we, I know, are, are watching really closely. Um, but I know we have to wrap up. So, so thank you, Margot. And this was such a great conversation. And, and I know you're in a weird position where there are people in this industry are watching your career and its evolution very closely. So I'm sure we'll have you back on the show, either, either in another iteration or maybe to talk about some of these issues um, like, like DE&I in the tech sector um, and also trust. Um, but thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you, it was fun, appreciate yeah. it. Yes, and of course we will be back um, soon with another episode of the Provoke Media Podcast. been listening to the Provoke podcast brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialists marketeers. Support for this podcast comes from Notified, the integrated, intelligent and easy to use PR software. Get a free demo today at notified.com.